The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. We're about to begin a, a new series this morning entitled The Path to the Cross, where over the next month, we're going to be looking at different instances in Jesus's life that lead up to the cross. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open it to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, and we want to read um, a lengthy passage here in the Gospel of John that, that takes place with Jesus and his disciples as they are gathered around a table. And that's why we're switching up service a little bit this morning. We're going to talk about the table before we partake uh, in the emblems on the table together. John 13 beginning in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And this, the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining 
at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter mentioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast. Or that he should, have give, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. And when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so in our Bible, we have four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptics because they have a lot of things that are in common. John provides information that we don't find in the other Gospels. And so a good example of this is the account of the Last Supper. This is the meal that that Jesus eats with his disciples just prior to his execution. It is significant because Jesus gives us the Lord's Supper during this meal. And this is something uh, Christians have practiced ever since that day. It's a tradition that we have continued. And it is what Matthew, Mark, and Luke focus on. They tell us about Jesus taking the bread and blessing it. And they tell us about Jesus taking the cup and blessing it. They tell us about Jesus explaining the the significance of these ordinary things that take on an extraordinary meaning when we come together on the first day of the week. And what we do on Sunday is what Jesus and his disciples did in that upper room right before Jesus goes to the cross. And so when we get to the Gospel of John, we learn a lot more about this Last Supper. Now, John does not record the taking of the bread and the cup, but we know that happened. We know it from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Instead, he tells us about this incredible moment where Jesus gets up from the table during the meal. And in the middle of that meal, he washes the disciples' feet. Now, we've heard lots of sermons on the Lord's Supper. We've probably heard lots of sermons on washing the disciples' feet. But I want us to think about what these two acts have to do with one another. Because they happen at the same time. They both take place at the table. 
And they are the, the two most important things that occur at this meal. And, and I believe they are related. We often separate these two events, but, but they were not separated on that night. We are to understand one in light of the other. And so one of the things you will notice when you come into our building is that there isn't a, a lot of things where we worship. You know, we have pews and we have a pulpit, but there's not much beyond that. Our, our worship is simple. What we do is modeled after what the Christians did in the first century. And so uh, these simple practices can be imitated in any country at any time. It doesn't require a lot of money. It doesn't require a lot of space. We use our voices to sing and to pray. We bring our gifts to offer to God. We read from our Bibles and we use our ears to listen to God's word being proclaimed. One piece of furniture that is prominent in our worship is a table. The table is at the center of everything we do. It sits between the pews and the pulpit and that is on purpose. It's not like that everywhere. It signifies that everyone is welcome at the table. And the table is open to all. There's no need for a minister or a clergy person to administer the bread and the wine. We serve one another. We are all equals at this table. In Galatians chapter 3, we're given this important statement. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Paul's describing the Christian church. We are one in Christ. And this is an amazing thing. Because you go out into the world and you notice that we live in a divided world. But that's not anything new. We have always lived in a divided world. Human beings continue to find ways to divide themselves. Paul lists a few of the ways that people were divided in ancient times. Jews and Gentiles. Slave and free, male and female. And the only thing that has changed today is that we use different categories. We might say black and white, Republican and Democrat, those who like pineapple on their pizza and those who are obviously wrong and don't, you know. Um, but you leave human beings alone long enough and we're going to find a way to divide ourselves. God, however, does not want us to live like that. And therefore, his plan is for everyone to be united in Christ. And so all the divisions that once mattered shouldn't matter any longer. And the church is a radical community because of its unity. I like how one author summed it up. He said, If the gospel is breaking down barriers, we should be able to look out on Sunday and say that there is no earthly reason why some of these people are in the same building together. Because humanity always finds something to divide over, the church is to be an example of unity everywhere that it is found. 
And so the church brings healing to where there is brokenness. It forms bonds where there was discord. Paul speaks of this incredible change that occurs. One becomes a Christian in Ephesians 2. He writes, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He's talking about two groups there. Two groups that didn't like each other. Two groups that hated each other. Jews and the Gentiles. But he says, because of Christ, they are unified. This radical unity is most evident when we come together around the table. And I think that we sometimes forget about this in the day and age in which we live, but it's still true. It was controversial in ancient times for Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free persons to sit at the same table and to eat a meal together. You just didn't do that. Jews and Gentiles were not supposed to extend table fellowship to one another. Slaves and free persons belonged to different social classes. And when Paul admonishes the Corinthians concerning their practice of the Lord's Supper, it was because they were practicing the divisions in the world at the table of the Lord. And it's in this context that Paul says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. It was not the Lord's Supper because this meal had had become like any other meal in the world. And they were allowing the divisions of the world to creep into the church rather than show the world the church is a place where radical unity flourishes. We were guilty of the same thing in America not too long ago when we refused to allow a person of color to join us at the table of the Lord. Our churches at that time should have rejected the cultural idea of separate dining tables, separate water fountains, separate churches, and joined together as one body at the Lord's table despite our differences. That's what we should have done. Um, Radical unity is what Jesus envisioned when when he instituted the Lord's Supper on that night in the upper room. Jesus brought together a tax collector and a zealot. And these are two individuals that the world would have never thought could have dined together. Uh, They both held to political positions that were diametrically opposed to one another. Uh, They were enemies. Zealots were in favor of using violence against tax collectors, 
and, and others that were aligned with the government. They literally wanted to kill the other side. They were pro-murder. Um, how would you like to go to church with someone who wanted to kill you the week before? Well, this was the case with Matthew and Simon. It was the case each time Paul showed up at a church. Because one participating in the stoning of Stephen, and the next week he's standing beside you singing Amazing Grace. Now, don't tell me there weren't some awkward stares and some uncomfortable moments. But they were able to come together because of Christ. As zealots and tax collectors were breaking bread, Jesus taught another important lesson. The unity that we enjoy at the table goes deeper than our divisions. Jesus was already perfectly united with his disciples, but he gets up from this table and he takes a towel. He takes some water and he washes their feet. Peter refused, and, and that's not surprising if you know anything about Peter. In fact, it goes along with a lot of other things he did. Of course, there was a reason why Peter refused. Uh, Jesus was their teacher. He was their rabbi. More than that, he was the Messiah. He was their Lord, as he says in the text. Jesus was greater than they were. They would all admit that. We would all admit that. We know it. But Jesus reminds them that the table is the great equalizer. And it is while they are sitting around the table that Jesus stoops to wash their feet. And it is at the table that the king serves the servants. Again, we kind of expect this because we live in America. We believe that everyone is equal. But do you know why we believe that? We believe it because of Christianity. Uh, this was unheard of in Jesus' day. Christianity gives us this belief. People were not equals and everyone knew it. But Jesus begins to change this mentality when he dines with his disciples in an upper room. And he forever changed the way that we look at one another. And it started with a table. Now, although we live in different times, we must not see the table as any less radical today. We come here each week knowing the table is open to all. We come here understanding that our unity in Christ is greater than those things that might divide us. Black and white, rich and poor, Republican and Democrat, male and female, however you want to split it, we are united and we are unified by this meal that we share. And the spirit of Christ can be seen in us when we put aside our differences and we break bread together. We are reminded of the power of Christ in us when we share this bread and wine. We are reminded of our mission to continue the ministry of Jesus in a broken world. And from the table we go back out into a world that is still divided. But we go out as peacemakers. We go out as ministers of reconciliation. And the world is longing for something. 
They can tell you themselves it's broken. They understand that much. And we have the answer. They want unity. But they don't know what true unity is. Unity is not pretending like the things that divide us don't exist. Unity is laying down the things that divide us because Jesus is more important. It is choosing the way of the cross. And this is what this meal is all about. Jesus and his disciples dined in the shadow of the cross. And when we take the cross seriously, it changes our perspective on everything. Our lives are not to be shaped by the things that get in the way or things that divide. Our lives are to be shaped by the cross. And we are reminded at the table that we serve the one who is willing to lay down his life for others. We eat the bread and drink the cup, not just to remember what he did for us. Certainly that's part of it. But to also remember what we are to do for others. So it is appropriate that our building and worship is simple because it draws our attention to the piece of furniture that we gather around. What we do around the table guides our lives. It determines how we are going to live each week. Jesus invites us to the table so that we will be changed into the people that we ought to be. Let's pray. Father, we come before you at this time, before this meal that we are about to share together. And we thank you for everything you've done in our lives. We thank you for showing us how to live. We thank you for, for giving us the church, which is a radical community that is unified in ways that the world could never be unified. I pray that we understand this as we enjoy this meal together, as we fellowship with one another, as we share it with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're most thankful for the sacrifice that makes this possible. As we look at the cross, we're reminded that we ourselves are to lay down our lives, to lay down our differences, and to be completely unified to our brothers and sisters as we break the bread, which represents the body of your son, and drink the wine, which represents his blood that he shed for us. I pray this in his name. Amen.